Good morning. We want to welcome all of our campuses. We are glad that you are here. And as Scott invited you to come this week to journey uh, to the cross, it is a great opportunity for you to bring your family, your younger kids, and allow them to experience and smell and touch those things that would have been in the last week of Christ's life here on this earth. And of course, all of our services and all the campuses, guys will be preaching live at all the campuses on Easter uh, weekend. And then the next weekend is our celebration service as well. So we're excited about uh, what God is doing. And again, as Scott encouraged you, invite someone. And you don't have to wait till Easter Sunday to do that. You can do that any week and invite them to come and be a part of who we are here at the Bible Chapel. We want to remind you, if you're new to us or just getting started, that at the chapel and all of our campuses, we exist to develop followers of Jesus Christ. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we want to help you take a step closer to a relationship with Christ or a step further along in your relationship with Christ. And we love that word develop because it means to bring into reality that some of you who here who are just kind of checking things out, you've not trusted in Christ yet, uh, but you are interested in what's going on, we wanna help you get there. And the word also means to make stronger. So uh, as you're a believer, we always want to grow and be stronger uh, in our spiritual walk. We believe that a growing believer someone who is developing, someone who is serious about their walk with Christ is involved in five things. We call these our five essentials. Word, worship, connect, serve, share. You're in the word on a regular basis, a daily basis. Just like you eat food, you need God's word to nourish you spiritually. You are worshiping the Lord with your life, not just singing songs, but you're honoring God in every aspect of your life. You're connected with another believer, a small group, maybe just one other person because you can't ever live the Christian life alone. That's a dangerous thing to do. You are sharing the message of Christ and you're, you're serving, you're using your gift. Just one thing on the word. We always talk here, I was thinking a couple weeks ago, we always are challenging you to be in the word, to be reading the word. And I know it's, it's challenging. You have to set time uh, um, apart. You have to make sure that, you're, that, that you have a schedule for it. You gotta put it into your calendar. I know it's challenging, but there is no substitute to reading God's word. So I was reading uh, a book, a leadership book, and it said that it takes how many days to develop a habit? How many days? I don't know. This person said, <laughs> this person said 66 days. That's not a new one. That's an old one. 66 days to develop a habit. All right? So think about it. For the next 66 days, five minutes a day in God's word. We don't need a church program for this, do we? You can do this on your own. Five minutes a day. Now, if you're, if you're more than five already, don't go back down to five. <laughs> but just five minutes a day for the next, and, and I encourage you to read through the, through the Gospel of John. Just read through the Gospel of John, chapter a day, and develop that habit. Because again, just like we need food, we cannot grow spiritually unless we're in the word of God. So we challenge you to do that. That's your challenge, 66-day challenge, all right? I guess we just started a church program. Uh, <laughs> not really. You're on your own on that, all right? Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you that you are always with us. You always give us exactly what we need 
right when we need it. You always allow us to live a life that's pleasing to you through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you have told us that you not only want us to live a life, but you say an abundant life. And so Father, we pray today that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to, to, to open up areas of our hearts that we even hide from ourselves. We are so good at that. I pray, Father, that you would open up areas of our hearts that have been hardened over time because of a particular sin, and we don't even think about that sin anymore. I pray, Father, that you would soften our hearts and transform our hearts and change us from the inside out as only you can do. Don't let us leave the same person as we came. Help us, Father, to do our business with you today as we interact with you in your word. And now, Lord, we've, we've sung together and we have, we have prayed together and we have interacted together. And now in one voice, we want to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Job. In the Old Testament, it's an easy book to find. Just open your Bibles to the middle. You'll be in the book of Psalms. One book back and you are in the book of Job. When a lot of people think of the book of Job, they think of suffering. And as we have gone through the book of Job, we'll uh, wrap this up today on uh, Palm Sunday. I hope you don't mind that we're going to wrap up Job on Palm Sunday. hope you don't mind because I have no plan B and we're going to wrap up Job uh, today. But a lot of people think of suffering as they think of the book of Job. And certainly there's a lot of suffering in the book of Job. But we have seen that there is more to Job than the book, uh, than, than the suffering. In fact, the main theme of the book, we have wrapped around four questions. These four questions. Can I believe God even when life doesn't make sense? Can I trust God when I can't explain him? Why should I serve God? And the question that I have written in my Bible, right above Job, is this, is God enough? When everything else is stripped away, when there are no answers to our questions, when life doesn't make sense, when painful days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years sometimes, is God enough? Today, as we wrap up our study, we're going to see Job's answer to that very question. But before we get there, let's take a quick review uh, of the book of Job. When uh, the book begins, Job, we, had, we saw he was riding a wave. He's described as a man who was blameless, upright, feared God, and turned from evil. 
The writer of the book describes him as that, and God describes him that way twice in the book. Blameless, upright, fears God, turns from. That does not mean he was perfect. It does not mean he was sinless. But Job was a guy who was following hard after God. The pattern of his life, if you looked at Job, you said, there is a godly man. And Job was blessed. He had wealth going on. He had, a lot of, he had all kinds of, of, of livestock. And he had a beautiful family, 10 kids. And they got along well. In fact, it says that every time one of them had a birthday, they would get together and they would just enjoy one another. And then there was a day when literally all hell broke loose in Job's life. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that Satan stands before God day and night and accuses us that we're not worthy, that we're not following hard after him, that we're not a person that, that he should have on his side. And the case in point here is Job. We get a picture of this heavenly scene, and Satan accuses God of buying Job's worship. All people would serve you, Satan says, if you bless them like you're blessing Job. I mean, who wouldn't? You'd be crazy not to. But you take away that stuff from Job, and he, and he will curse you, God. He will curse you to your face. And so God allowed that to happen. He didn't do it. He allowed it to happen. And Satan brought suffering on Job like we hardly see in any life of Scripture. His possessions are taken away. His a windstorm knocks down the house where his kids are celebrating. All of them die. And then he's inflicted with a disease that leaves him so debilitated and in such pain that he leaves his house and he goes out by the city dump, an outcast. And that's where most of the book takes place, Job sitting at the city dump. And then Job chapter 3, verse 25, here's what Job says. For the thing I fear comes up on me, and what I dread befalls me. When I read that, that makes Job come to life in my mind because I've had those thoughts, haven't you? Man, if this happened in my life, I don't know what I would do. If something happened to one of my kids, man, God, how would I handle that? And Job's saying, the thing I feared is happening thing I dreaded most befalls me. It's come to pass. Now, first, Job was exemplary in his response. He had kind of a sufferer's high. And he goes to God and he said, God, I didn't bring anything into this world. I'm not going to take anything out of this world. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A lot of people stop right there with Job. Because when the pain sets in and when the days turn to weeks, Job wishes he was dead. He wishes he had not been born. He wishes since he had been born, he had been stillborn. And he wishes that God take his life. And he begins to question God's love and God's care in God's character. You ever been there? When you begin to question what in the world is God doing? 
Maybe some of you are there now. Job puts God on trial. And he says, God, you have to answer me. I have not sinned in my life. There's no sin that's causing this punishment. Why has this come up on me? You have to answer me. I want to put you on the witness stand. And I've got some questions for you, God, and you better answer me. Job chapter 1, verse 35. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. And Job writes his signature and says, God, it's your turn. And I got questions for you. And if you show me that I am guilty, you can zap me on the spot. That's where I am. And if I'm innocent, God, then you got to say it. Job didn't deserve this. You got to say, God, you were wrong. And Job was right. It's pretty, uh, pretty full of hubris, right? To say that to God. God graciously sends another person to speak to Job before he begins to talk. A guy named Elihu. And Elihu comes and just says, Job, you need to settle down. That's pretty blatant stuff, calling God on the witness stand. You need to settle down. And then after Elihu, God shows up in an unmistakable way. It says he came out of a violent storm. And God begins to ask Job, who are you who darkens my counsel? Who do you think you are to confuse my character? Who do you think you are of accusing me of injustice? Job, who are you? And God says, Job, I'm not going to answer any questions, but I got some questions for you. 77 questions over the next three or four chapters. And we saw last time that those questions can kind of be, can kind of be uh, corralled with three bigger questions. First of all, Job, can you explain my creation? You, you, you want me to answer you? You want to know why I, I did this? Job, can you explain my creation? Where were you when I created the earth and the skies and the seas? Oh, you can't, you can't explain my creation? Job, you weren't there, were you? Maybe you can control my creation. That was the second set of questions. And God brings before him six beasts and four birds. Oh, you can't control my creation. Job, maybe you can conquer my creation. And God just brings two examples. He brings the behemoth and the leviathan, these huge animals. And he says, you can't even conquer them, Job. Who are you? to put me on trial? Why are you calling me unfair? Why are you charging me with injustice? Job, I know what I'm doing, even when you don't understand it. You believe that? God knows what he's doing, even when we don't understand it. Job had a lot to say, but he's been silent all through the speech of Elihu and now through God's questioning. 
And he finally answers in chapter 42, verses one and two, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job confessed that God was all-powerful. God, you can do all things. You are sovereign even in my suffering. No plan of yours can be turned. No plan of yours can be thwarted. God involves us in his plans. He uses us in his plans, but he is sovereign over all. We may not understand his ways. The journey he takes us on may have some challenging times, but whatever God ordains will come to be. Look at verse three. Job quotes God. He said, you ask, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And now he answers, well, that was me, but I uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I didn't know. And then he said, God, you, you said, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known. And then Job says, beautiful verses, verses five and six. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I heard, of, I heard about you, God, but now my eyes see you. I'll tell you what, sometimes it's only through pain that we can make that statement, isn't it? I knew about you. I read about you. I, I sung songs about you. I even told others about you. But now, my eyes see you. Verse six, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job says, I confess my unworthiness. I should not have said what I said. And I repent in dust and ashes. So here's a question we need to ask. Um, what is Job repenting of? God said he's blameless, all right? Upright, uh, feared God, and turned from evil. So what is Job repenting of? There are various challenges that accompany our pain. And many of you know those challenges well. Right, right along with suffering come a variety of, of, of life uh, emotions, circumstances, situations, things that come up on us. So it's not just the thing that we're going through, but along with that thing comes fear and, and dread and anxiety and physical exhaustion and spiritual exhaustion and emotional exhaustion and loneliness and hopelessness and discouragement and depression. God, our Job brother, experienced all of those things. And there's one other, some other things that, that accompany pain, and and it's it, it, it almost seems cruel to talk about. When we think about Job and all he's gone through, it almost seems cruel to talk about this, but this is where Job went in his suffering, and this is where we go sometimes. 
the most, the most profound dangers to suffering are things like selfishness and bitterness and anger. Suffering is all-consuming, or can be, and I know it sounds harsh, but we have to be careful because suffering can make us can make us very proud people and our pride is demonstrated in god what are you doing you're not fair you're not just i don't know if i can trust you in his suffering job had allowed pride to take over his heart he never cursed god He never walked away from God. But he wanted to prove that God was wrong and he was right. He wanted to put God on the witness stand. The last words of Elihu before before God spoke were these, Job 37, 22 through 24. God is clothed with awesome majesty. The Almighty cannot find him. God is great in power. We cannot find him. God is great in power. Justice and and abundant righteousness, he will not violate. Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. And as soon as Job said that, God spoke in the storm. Pride had overtaken Job's heart. And that's what he repents of. That's what he turns from. So if you're suffering and you're going through a tough time, that may be something you need to deal with. Because suffering is all-consuming. A person going through a difficult time, it's kind of all they want to talk about, isn't it? And that can become dangerous. And that can become inward focused. And we can put God on the witness stand or try to. And we may need to repent of that as well, just as Job did. To turn from it. To turn our back toward pride and turn it back to saying, God, you are, I don't understand what's going on. I don't like what's going on. But you are God and I'm not. God has some things to say to those three friends. Remember those three friends of Job's? Verse seven, after the Lord has spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Job said it right, you had it wrong. Remember what they said? Eliphaz said, Job You sinned greatly for God to do this to you. And Bildad said the same thing. He just took a different twist. He said, God is just and he punishes sin. Therefore, because he's just and he punishes sin, you must have really sinned badly. And then Zophar, he just repeats what the other two say. 
And so we learn two things from that. Let's review them here. Suffering is not always the result of sin. That's what those three guys were arguing. Suffering is always a result of sin. God said, you had it wrong. Job has it right. Suffering is not always the result of sin. Now, there are some obvious times if we do something, if we sin, there's a consequence for that. If we leave our family and run off with someone else, there are consequences to that. And we can't say in our, in our pain, when our family is estranged and we're not having Christmas with them, oh God, what are you doing to me? But there are other times when we look at our life and there's no pattern of sin, but something happens. So sin's not always the result Suffering's not always a result of sin. We learn the second thing, suffering, sometimes God uses suffering to protect us and to teach us. Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul sees this vision of heaven. Remember, we looked at that. He sees this vision of heaven. And Paul says, to keep me from being conceited. No one else has ever, has ever seen that. But to keep me from being conceited, God gave me a thorn in the flesh, and I prayed three times for God to take it away, but he, he didn't. He said, my, my strength is going to make, be made perfect in your weakness, Paul. We read in Hebrews that sometimes God brings discipline on us and pain as his children for training. And the writer says it's not pleasant at the time, but it's always for our good. God's getting us ready for the next step. Now, here's something very informative and important and instructive regarding repentance. God told Eliphaz, you and your three friends, you're in the wrong. And you need to go make some sacrifices, some sin offerings. And I'm going to have Job act as your priest. And he's going to intercede for you. And he's going to pray for you. And it says in verse 9, when they offered those sacrifices, that Job prayed for them. And at the end of verse 9, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now I'm going to ask you a question. You are at your absolute worst. You're sitting at the garbage dump. You need sympathy and comfort. And you had those guys tell you what a sinner you are. Would you want to pray for them? Well, that's part of the process of repentance, isn't it? In verse 10, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, check this out, when he had prayed for his friends. Part of making things right with God is making things right with others. So if you're holding bitterness and anger towards someone who's hurt you, maybe it's someone here, maybe it's someone long ago, but if you're holding that bitterness and, and anger to someone who's hurt you and you say, God, man, I'm really sorry for that, I want to repent, you know what God's going to say? Then you need to go talk to that person because part of making things right with God is making things right 
with others. We don't like that second part, do we? That means a phone call. That means a coffee. That means a face-to-face. That means saying, it, it doesn't mean saying, I really appreciate what you did to me because God has really used it. It's saying, I didn't appreciate what you did to me, but I just got to tell you, I'm letting it go. I'm not going to be bitter at you anymore. I'm not going to be angry at you anymore. I'm not going to hold that in my heart because part of making things right with God is making things right with others. Isn't that interesting? And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Maybe God has someone on your mind right now that you need to go talk to. That's part of repentance. So, God gave Job back his fortunes. His brothers and sisters and all who had known him, verse 11, uh, had known him before. They came to his house and they ate bread with him. They're happy to be with him now, right? They weren't around at the garbage dump, but now they're back. And they ate with him and uh, they even brought money. They showed sympathy and comfort. I always think that's interesting. When he needed sympathy and comfort, they weren't around, but now they're showing him uh, sympathy and comfort. And they even gave him some money to get him back on, it, back on his feet. And then in verse 12, uh, over time, we don't know how long Job lived. There are a lot of commentators who think he was about 70 when this happened, and God doubled his life, and so he lived to be 140. We don't know that for sure. Lived to be 140. But in the rest of his life, everything he had before was doubled. Uh, he had uh, 7,000 sheep, and now he has 14,000. He had 3,000 camel, and now he has 6,000. He had, he had uh, 500 yoke of oxen, and now... 1,000, he had 500 female donkeys, and now he has uh, 1,000, and he had 10 uh, children, so you'd expect 20, right? But um, he had also, verse 13, seven sons and three daughters, because from God's perspective, he still had 20 kids, 10 in heaven and 10 on earth. That's a beautiful picture there of God's perspective and of eternal life, even here in the book of Job. It's interesting in verse 15, in all, in all the land there was no woman, no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And he gave them these names, Jemima, which means dove, Keziah, which means cinnamon perfume, and Karen Hapik, which means horn of eye paint. Uh, it was a, uh, an animal's horn, and they would put, um, they would put uh, dye in it, and they would use that dye to paint their eyebrows and their eyelids, kind of like mascara. So check it out. Three girls, dove, cinnamon perfume, and, and horn of eye paint. So soap, perfume, and cosmetics right there in the three girls. Pretty cool. <laughs> And then, and then Job gave them an inheritance, which was unusual for the day. Uh, Job gave his daughters an inheritance just like he gave his, uh, his sons. Last verse of Job, and Job died an old man full of days, a complete life. 
Things work out well in the end for Job, right? Now we have to be careful here. We have to be careful not to draw universal conclusions from this final chapter. Because not every trial will end with all the questions answered and all the problems solved. Not every trial ends happily ever after, does it? That's just not the way it works. Sometimes a person still dies regardless of our desires and our prayers. We just had memorial services for two members of our church this past week, and we had been praying for them that God would bring a miracle into their lives and that he would heal them. That wasn't his desire. Sometimes it doesn't work out like the end of Job. Sometimes he leaves and he never comes back. And you're on your knees praying that God will open his eyes and got guys here at the church praying God will open his eyes and come back to his family and he never does. Sometimes she says, I don't love you anymore. And it never changes. Sometimes the job is not replaced by one that pays twice as much or even the same amount. Sometimes like Paul, we, we plead, God, take this thorn in the flesh away. And God says, no. No. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Here's what we know. God is the one writing the chapters of our life. God is sovereign even in our suffering, and he uses everything to cause us to know him better. Remember what Job says? I, I, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you I get it I get a better picture of you the Job's only mentioned once in the New Testament by James James chapter 5 verse 11 behold we consider those blessed who remained steadfast you have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord the purpose of the Lord in his steadfastness, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So the question of Job is this, is God enough? Even when everything's taken away, is God enough? And Job's answer is what? Absolutely. A resounding yes. When God is all you have, God is all you need. He's all we need.